The title of this message is Lukewarm. And y'all, I'm going to mess with you again this week. Is that all right? How many of you come to church to be messed with? Only three of you. All right. I'm going to mess with you a little bit this week. I want to mess with you because I'm tired of God messing with me, so I just got to pass on the favor. How's that sound? Yeah, I, uh, when, I, when I present some things like I present this week, the reason I'm doing it is, uh, you know, I could pe- preach a message every week that's like love, joy, peace, and all that fun stuff. And uh, that's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful part of our faith. But I stand here today, and I, I feel the weight of responsibility as one of the pastors of the church here that we would continue to dig deeper into uh, what God is, is saying and doing. I, I will say this to you. The greatest thing holding back the church in, in the world is not the devil. It's not the enemy. I hate to break the news to you. He has been defeated, right? It's so funny because um, I've, I've been freaking people out just to have fun by using both male and female terms to describe God pronouns because God is neither male nor female, but we always refer to him as a he, right? So I preached a whole message about the female attributes of God and, and uh, that's a good thing, amen? How many of you love your mother? There's a reason you do because she, she, she is, has a way with you that your dad doesn't have or didn't have, amen? So we need both the fullness of the Godhead, but I've been using those terms, but so some people will say the Holy Spirit is a she or whatever, and then, you know, it freaks people out and just deal with it, right? Um, but we're pretty sure the devil's a he, right? Isn't that funny? Ladies, that was a joke for you. You're going to get that after a while. We never use she for the devil. We're pretty sure it's a he. But the enemy, is, the enemy of our faith is not the devil. It's not Satan. The enemy of our faith is not the government. The enemy of our faith and, and, and what's holding us back, the hurdles, the, the, the brick walls, the mountains that are holding us back from doing and accomplishing what God has created us to be and do in the earth is not some outside force. What's holding us back is some fundamental misunderstandings and bad theology. And at the root of it is, if I can dig a little deeper, it's some misunderstandings or some wrong thinking about ourselves. How God thinks about us, how he relates to us, how we think about him and how we relate to him. It, you, can go, you can boil everything down to if you and I start thinking right when it comes to how he believes and thinks about us and what he says about us, and we start responding back to that, in, in some real true space, just, just you know, slicing off the top all the fat and all the nonsense and all the distorted stuff and all the man-made religious control. We get rid of all that stuff off the top and we start going to the baseline of who he created us to be and what he put inside of us and, and who we are and, and, and responding to that. Man, there's no holding us back for the church. There's no government. There's no demonic spirit. There's no anything. Come on. There's no political party. There is nothing that can hold us back. And what I've found is that Christians are really good at coming up with excuses. I'm in the right section over here. I'm going to just preach to you too. We're good at coming up with excuses because it's, it's, it requires something for us to go out and change the world, right? So when we don't change the world, it's somebody else's fault, right? Come on. 
It's Iran's fault. Iran ain't messing with you. Right? It's Trump's fault. He's not messing with you anymore either. He's at Mar-a-Lago playing golf this morning. All right? Come on. It's, it's the Democrat. It's the Republicans. It's the maskers. It's the non-maskers. It's Dr. Fauci. He's out to get us. It's Bill Gates. Shut up. I'm so tired of Christians and their nonsense. It's not Bill Gates. It's us. When we don't see the kingdom of God be manifest here on the earth, there is one person to blame. Me. Come on. Nobody likes that, right? We're like, no, it's not. If we, they just would get out of our way. Did you hear about the worship gathering in Seattle that they shut down? They're trying to take God from us. Good luck. You think God's like up there going like, if they don't stand up, they're robbed. I will be dead. Bring it on. That's what I say. Bring it on. You can come, you can take my Bible, you can take, come on, you can take my church, you can take our gathering space, you can take whatever you want. At the end of the day, the kingdom of God is going to advance. Do you know that the, where the kingdom of God is advancing and more people are discovering the majesty of Jesus than ever before or in the most closed nations with the most persecution? Our problem is not persecution, our problem is us. And nobody wants to attack bad theology. Nobody wants to go after some things that we might have wrong, even if we've believed it for 30 years. This dumb guy up here in this church here is like, bring it on. Because if we get some of these things just adjusted a little bit here, start firing on all cylinders and understand who God created us to be, there is no holding us back. So I'm not here to mess with your... 20 years of theology, I'm here to, yeah, let's believe that every step of our journey of faith to this point has been there for a reason, but there is no excuse to stay where we are when God is pouring out revelation and understanding like never before, like the earth has never seen. If you think the spirit that inspired the written Bible was like the period of time where God was speaking the most, you're mistaking. He is pouring out more revelation, more understanding today than he ever has before. And we just have to be listening. Do you believe that? So I'm going to actually get to my message. So I want to go after Revelations 3, and I want to not go after it. I want to propose to you, can we just look at your neighbor and tell him, we're going to do some thinking this morning. <laughs> the four words that will get you kicked out of most churches is, I have a question. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that'll preach. Revelation 16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, it will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Uh, funny, because um, let me read to you some of the interpretations that are out there that seem to be the general interpretations of the scripture, what it means to be a lukewarm Christian. First of all, what should give you a clue of where I believe God was going with this 
before I even tell you the context of who this letter was written to, which is important, um, Revelation starts with seven letters written to seven cities. This is one of them. I believe this is the third letter or fourth letter or something like that. And these are letters written to them so that they can understand them. And I'll get to that context in a moment. But before I get there, let me just read to you verse 16 and verse 20. And before we mess with the kind of uh, the widely accepted interpretation of this scripture, let's just take it for what it is. You guys have heard the term lukewarm Christian before. So let's take that for what it is. Does this make sense? Verse 16, he says, so because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. This is God speaking to his children. I will spit you out of my mouth. Does that sound kind or fun? No. Verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door at knock. And if anyone... Anyone, this is four verses later, like even the lukewarm. Do you see why we've got to figure out what the heck he's talking about in verse 16? Because it doesn't make sense in verse 20. Anyone, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Oh, you're not going to spit them out? You know, we have to be real with ourselves. So we read a scripture like this and it doesn't make sense four scriptures later. We got to figure out what it means, right? Well, I did the work for you. And then you can go home and see if you think I'm right. I'm cool with that. Let me break down to you what's happening here. Can I do that? Is that all right? This letter is written to uh, the, the town of Laodicea and, or Laodicea, depending on how fancy you want to be, but Laodicea. And in Laodicea, they had water, right? They would have aqueducts, but they had a town close to them that was very well known, Heropolis, I believe it is, that was very well known for their hot water. They had a hot spring that they drew water from into their city. And they would use that hot water for, um, for mineral baths, for healing and soothing, for, to make coffee or tea or that sort of stuff. But that hot water was important. How many of you know when you get tea, you want it to be hot? How many of you know when you get a bath, you want it to be hot, right? Anyone ever get into a tepid, like lukewarm bath? It's gross, right? So they would use this. Then there's another town that was very close to them that was known for their cold, refreshing water, and they got it from the mountain. And so they were in a mountainous region, and the mountain water would flow down, and they had very cold water. But Laodicea was kind of in between the towns, so they would kind of get some of the hot water from Hierapolis and some of the cold water from this other town. And what they ended up with was lukewarm water. And lukewarm water had no purpose. The cold water had purpose. The hot water had purpose. The cold water would be used to refrigerate things. The cold water would be used to make cold drinks. The cold water would be used for, you know, for certain types of therapy. The cold water was useful. The hot water was useful. The lukewarm water was not useful. Laodicea actually means the city of compromise. And it also means the city of the self-righteous. Y'all, I'm going to make this make sense in a moment. Remember that, the city of compromise and the city of the self-righteous. 
So this city was neither hot nor cold. God is actually not saying here, don't be cold. And he's also not saying, don't be hot. He's saying, don't be lukewarm. So both hot and cold here are good, which means he can't be talking about how on fire we are for him because he doesn't think being cold is good. Is this, is this simple enough for you and I? Like, I'm a simple-minded person. If he says be one or the other, let's put it this way. If we're in relationship with each other and, uh, or you're interested in being in a relationship with me, which you should be because I'm lots of fun. But if you're interested in being in a relationship with me and you put it out there to me like, hey, we should hang out sometime, right? We should hang out every day. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. Or if I say, I may not be able to hang out every day, but maybe we can hang out sometime. Maybe you and I can spend some time. Maybe it's once a month. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's once every three months. But yeah, I'd like to spend time with you. If you're actually interested in a relationship with me, would you rather hang out with me every now and then? Or would you rather me say, yeah, I'm not interested in you? It's not. If he's truly interested in a relationship with his children, if you're not quite red hot yet, and you're just kind of getting there, do you, you see what I'm saying here? It doesn't make sense in the context of what we've always been told. Let me read to you some of the modern interpretations. This is from Francis Chan, who I think is a wonderful man. I just disagree with him. It's from one of his books. Lukewarm Christians don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. God is a useful fire escape they employ, not a God they worship. Lukewarm Christians are moved by stories about people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not want to do radical things themselves. They call radical what Jesus expects of all his followers. Lukewarm Christians equate their partially sanitized lives with holiness. But Jesus didn't call us to sanitation. He called us to discipleship. If you are his follower, your life will not be defined only by avoiding sin, but only by entering into his suffering. Lukewarm Christians rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, or friends. Like Charles Spurgeon said, if you are either a missionary, you are either a missionary or an imposter. Do you understand why I have problems with some of this language? What if you work on a job where you're specifically told not to share your faith because based on the environment, it might make somebody feel uncomfortable. Now you're an imposter. Now you're lukewarm. Listen, I, I feel the energy in the room right here for a moment. I feel what's going on. Y'all trust me. I'm not trying to lead you down a negative path here trying to set you free from the nonsense that religion has put on your shoulders and mine to where you never, ever, ever, ever feel like you are succeeding in your walk. You never feel like God's okay with you. You never feel like you're adding up. You never feel like you're enough. There's always something you're not doing right. Always something that's making you feel. There's nobody in this room right now that would look me in the eyes and say, according to this a modern interpretation of this scripture, I feel like I am hot. Every one of you in this room would find a reason more than likely to say, I feel like I'm lukewarm in some way or another, which means that God is in the process, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one that for 
four uh, verses later says, if you will come, anyone that comes, I will sit and eat with you. That God, because of this definition and the way that we've interpreted the scripture, you and I, all of us believe that we are either in the process of God spitting us out of his mouth or on the verge of God spitting us out of his mouth. And that, friends, is not a relationship. If you're in a relationship with another human being and you believe at any minute they're going to kick you to the curb, that's not a relationship. That is a fear-based, you know, whatever, arrangement with another human being. Who wants to be in a relationship where they feel like if they just, oh, I didn't share my faith at work today. I'm an imposter. I'm lukewarm. He's going to spit me out of the mouth. That's nonsense. I'm trying to break that off of your life and mine. Should you share your faith? Sure. But what if you can't? What if you're too busy? You go home and you're an imposter now? You're lukewarm and God's going to spit you out of your mouth? And what I found was is some of the most nice well-meaning, beautiful human beings are the ones that are trying their hardest to do what modern religion has put on our shoulders. And, in, and because they, they're good-meaning humans, some of us are just jerks by nature, so we don't care. It's like, whatever. But some of the most well-meaning human beings are doing their best to do this, and they, in their search for truth and their search for acceptance, are beat down week after week and day after day because they never feel like they're accepted and enough. And they're always, God's like, he's like a dude who's drunk too much the night before. He's at any minute going to ralph us out of his mouth. That's nonsense. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are in him and he is in you. He's not going to spit you out of his mouth. So what are we talking about here? Well, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I would stake my life on it, that God is not warning you or threatening to spit you out of his mouth with this scripture. I know that. So then what, are we, what does it mean? I'm going to give you three things that I believe that God is pointing to. Could be all three. It could be one. I'm not going to actually give you a perfect answer. I'm just going to give you based on the context, based on the town, based on the interpretation, based on the Greek that's being used here, I'd like to give you some definitions. Number one, a lot of commentaries and theologians believe that he's specifically talking about law and grace. Law being cold, grace being hot. And he was saying to the Jews or the people of this town, giving them an example they would understand because they were the town with the lukewarm water, either be a Jew and follow the law or live under an understanding of the open grace and the freedom that we find in that. But don't mix the two of them because it's useless. At least the guys that have the law going on over here, at least it's producing some sort of uh, what appears to be some boundaries or some morality in their life. But when you mix the two, it's deadly. So there's some scriptures, like it says, for sin has no dominion over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which has held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. But you are led by the spirit. You're not under the law. There's all these scriptures in the New Testament. That's three of them that draw a contrast between law and grace. There's another scripture that says that, the, that a little bit of leaven or a little bit of yeast leavens the whole lump or the whole lump of dough. The idea that just a little bit of the law thrown in with grace will ruin the whole batch. That's one potential definition for it that makes sense. Another one that we can kind of, uh, the other reason that makes sense is because 
the law or grace, lukewarm law or grace mixture of the two, is because this city was known as the city of compromise, but not just the city of compromise, the city of the self-righteous. And so it's the idea, see, self-righteous behavior or ideals or thought patterns or theology is, is, is the number one reason that people that are under the new covenant will mix the law and grace. It's this idea of, yeah, I've got it. Thank you for the gift of grace, but now you need my help. And I can do it now. You set me free, God. Now I'm going to take the reins back over and I'm going to make all the right choices and I'm going to and I'm going to and I'm going to. And we find that every time we fall flat on our face. So this self-righteous kind of uh, uh, part of the definition of the people of this city leads us to believe that could be one of the reasons. Number two is, He's saying, and he actually says um, later on in referring to the water, that the lukewarm water has no purpose. It's not useful. It's not useful. He's saying the cold water is useful and the hot water is useful. This town over here uses the water, the hot water, to do good, healthy things for its citizens. This city over here uses the cold water to do good, healthy things for its citizens. But the lukewarm water, you can't refrigerate it with it. You can't take a bath with it. You can't make hot tea. You can't, it's just, it's useless. We either need it either hot or cold. They're both useful. The middle is useless. I will tell you this personally, that there's, a, there's an idea in the Bible that talks about salt and it says, be salt. Therefore, salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it make, how will it be salty again? Or how will, be, how will it be made salty? Like, figure out what, what you're passionate about, what God's created you to be, and do it. Amen. Like, don't be in the middle. It's not about compromising how passionate I am about God. No, it's find what you're useful in and go do it and be specific. I will tell you this in my own life. The more specific I've become with my calling, the more passionate I've become. The more specific I've become in what my heart beats for, the more excited I am about getting here every week. If I'm just here every week trying to go, what can I say that'll just make everyone happy? And I don't actually care what I'm passionate about. I don't care what you've called me to do. Just let me be, you know, just a super spiritual politician every week. That leads to burned out pastors who don't at the end of the day want to do it anymore because they're not actually speaking what God's put on their heart. They're speaking what they think everyone wants to hear, right? But the more specific I've become, the more, uh, the more um, effective I become and the more useful I become. And so we have a church, as a church, have become more specific and useful. And I'll tell you this right now, some of the things that make my heart go crazy and I'm excited about is, is um, what I like to call recovering fundamentalists. People that have been beat down by the church, don't know if they're ever going back again, had an experience with God, but it got messed up by man. And they just are beat up and feel torn down. And yeah, some folks are pointing at themselves. Uh, I am passionate about that because I just believe that, that God is good enough and his son and what he did and what he accomplished for us is good enough that if we get rid of all the other junk, that it's still, still a really great deal, all right? I believe that wholeheartedly. So I'm like, okay, how do we figure out how to reach people that say, I will never go back to church? 
I, 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 I will never, I love God, but I will never go back to church. Man, I get fired up about that. I get fired up about people groups that have been kicked aside and told that they'll never be accepted and never be a part. My, my dad has, has been doing that for years and years and years. If you are a group of people that the rest of the churches in the area say, uh, we're cool if you don't come here. Y'all ever walk into a church and know for a fact they don't want you there? Anybody been there? Oh, the rest of you just that cute, huh? Yeah. Man, those are the people I'm like, send my way. I want the people, I'll take anybody. But I really, my heart beats for people that are like, man, no one else would take me. We will. Oh, we will. Because there's a champion living on the inside of you. Boy, there's a... <laughs> what time is it? Oh, I got to wrap it up here. So first one is, could be a mixture of law and grace. Second one is, he's saying, be useful, be either hot or cold. Don't be something in the middle. Be specific, be effective. The last one, and I'm going to tie it in with finishing up my message from last week, because I told you this week I was going to finish up with working out your own salvation. If you remember, that's the part I didn't get to. Last thing is this. Um, be either in or out. Don't fake it. This is the one I should have probably saved some time for and I didn't, but I might've gotten myself in trouble with some time, so maybe it's a good thing. I'm giving you permission, not that you need it from me. I'm giving you permission as one of the pastors of this church. Don't fake your journey. It's yours. And there are gonna be times where somebody else is super fired up and you don't feel that way. Don't fake it. Nothing is worse. Like, if it's my birthday and you call me on the phone, you're like, hey. I'm like, hey. You know what today is? I do. I do know. It's your birthday, dude. Yes, it is. Happy, happy birthday, man. So you don't sound like you're excited about my birthday. I would rather you just not call me if you're going to sound like that. Like, let's be hot or cold about this. Like, just don't call me because that was weird. Don't fake it with me, dude. Get yourself excited. Drink a Red Bull. Call me back and let's fire this up a little bit. If you call me on the phone, you know, or if you just text me HB, I don't know what that means. That could be hash browns. I don't know what that means. Just spell the whole thing out with a couple explanation points and get yourself into them emojis and give me a cake emoji. Give me a, at least a red balloon emoji. I'd like the little emoji, you know, with the confetti. Give me those. All right? Don't fake it, though. I don't want a relationship where I feel like somebody is doing something because they've been told to do it. I want them to do it because they want to do it. Don't text me or call me out of obligation. Do you hear what I'm saying here? You will be so much more effective and so much more authentic in your relationship with him if you pursue him according to how your heart, where, where you're at. Someone might, for them, an hour every morning, you know, diving into the word of God might be exactly where they're at and that's their journey and that's awesome. You might miss a morning. Oh no, he's gonna spit you out of his mouth, no. You might miss a morning because all hell is breaking loose. 
or you woke up and you're depressed. Someone's like, well, if they got in the word, they wouldn't be depressed anymore. I've gotten in the word when I'm depressed and left more depressed. Let's be real. All right. Sometimes you just need to do. You're welcome. You just need to. Happy, happy birthday. Um, so, so you, you just need to be real with where you are with him. Because I'd rather spend five minutes where I'm in it and I'm paying attention and I'm intentional and I'm authentic and I'm being real with God than an hour where I'm just sitting there like kind of like, when can I get back on my phone and scroll Instagram? But at least I'll be able to tell my friends I spent an hour with God this morning. Like, do it or don't do it. But if you're going to do it, do it. And if you're not, don't. Like, that's real relationship. You know what I mean? Like, hun, you want to go for a date tonight? Sure. I guess it's about that time of the week. And you're just sitting at and you're sitting at dinner and just like, so how was your week? I don't know. Good ish. I was like, maybe we shouldn't have done this. You weren't feeling it. It's okay. Yeah. We're Am I being heckled right now? It's all right. I can handle it. Does that make sense this morning? Does it make sense? So three options. It could be all three. It could be one of them. Mixture of the law and grace. Could be be useful, be specific, be effective. Know who you've God's created you to be and be it. Don't find yourself lukewarm. Or it could be the third thing, which is own your journey. Either get in and get out. Don't fake it till you make it. That's not, that's not okay. If you're going to do it, do it. If not, don't. And when you feel like it and your heart is there, then go for it. And I promise you, you can live 20 years of going through the motions and be no, have no better of a relationship than you did 20 years before. Or you can live an authentic journey with our God and mean every word you say and every minute you spend because you want to do it, because you want to know him and you want him to know you. But don't find yourself lukewarm. That is what I believe God is saying here. He's not threatening to spit you out of his mouth and then four verses later saying, hey, anyone that wants to come and eat, I'll eat with you. It's not what's going on here. So hopefully that gives you a different perspective on lukewarm. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you next week.